Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Matt Harris, head of content here at EM360 and your host on today's episode. Now, today I'm joined by Andy Patel, researcher at WithSecure, and we're here to talk about the risks of generative AI. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on the show. Could you just tell our audience a little bit about you know who you are and what you do at WithSecure? Yeah, so I'm an artificial intelligence researcher at WithSecure. My main focuses have been on things like natural language processing, reinforcement learning. I do some graph analysis and I look at data collected from social networks for disinformation and and, uh, inauthentic amplification, things like that. Um, Of course, recently I've been doing prompt engineering um, and I've been at the company like 17 years, so quite a long time. Awesome. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, and obviously, you know, we, we're here today to kind of talk a little bit around generative AI. And if, for those who may have been living off of the grid or on a remote island somewhere for the last few months, you know, who might not have seen the rise of things like chat GPT. Um, could you explain your own words, you know, the kind of backstory around OpenAI, AI, um, where this kind of mainstream AI tool has come from and how it's beginning to change the modern workday? Right. So we all talk about ChatGPT because it it sort of made made a bit of a buzz at the end of last year. Uh, ChatGPT is based on um, a large language model called GPT-3, which came out two years ago. The model itself is designed to predict the next token in a sequence of tokens. So to the layperson, you might imagine that as predicting the next word in a sentence. Now, GPT-3 has been out for two years, and it was uh, released by OpenAI in um, 2020. Most GPT-3 models that are currently available were trained on data going up to about June of 2021. ChatGPT is based on a derivative of GPT-3, which they're calling GPT-3.5. And um, the reason for that is that the model has been aligned, as they call it, uh, by a process, I believe, called reinforcement learning through human feedback. And what they're doing there is trying to make the model a little safer, a little more accurate, um, and less likely to to make things up, less likely to... um, give responses that aren't desirable. Now, the reason why people are now talking about these models, even though they've been around for a couple of years, is that we're now seeing free access to them. Uh, and so people have actually been able to play with them themselves. And and that's when they can see the magic in, in these things. Yeah, and obviously, I, I, I was reading a report recently from um, with Secure where you guys you know, start to talk about the risks of generative AI and prompt engineering. Um, And I believe one of the top risks that you highlighted was CEO fraud. Could you just tell our audience a little bit about this and why it's so harmful? Right. So when uh, we we started this research in 
October, November of last year, when we noticed that it was possible to start to get free access to, to this current iteration of large language models. And so it sort of felt like a good idea to start looking at what you can do with them from a, like a cybersecurity point of view at that time. We performed a number of experiments with the model. Uh, one, the one that you mentioned was to prompt the model to create phishing email. And we asked our colleagues at the company for examples of good spear phishing emails. And, and um, we got two. One, one was an email designed to trick someone into sharing a confidential document. And the other was what you're calling um, CEO fraud, uh, where you imply a sense of urgency, pretend, pretending to be uh, someone in the, in the C-level of a company that's meeting with a potential new customer and, and you're asking someone in finance to, to transfer money into a bank account in order to complete some sort of a business deal. Now, what we did was, uh, in both of those examples, we asked it to create a single email uh, but we also asked it to create a series of replies, a reply chain thread of emails, where we then uh, added like a forward at the end of it, uh, where we'd be forwarded to the victim. And the reason we, we used this reply chain was because we could embed the, the malicious link inside that reply chain. And then that final email would ask the victim to dig the link out and, and click on it. And that uh, that's a much more believable social engineering tactic that if you if you receive a, a reply chain and and someone sort of urgently asking you to do something it all looks much more realistic and that malicious link isn't in the single email that you received in your inbox uh, and what what are some of the other ways that ai can be leveraged to you know really legitimize scams so i mean one way that we found was to ask it to mimic uh, a written style. So if, if you're an adversary and, and you're looking to perform a social engineering attack and you, you're looking to impersonate someone, impersonating the way they write in their emails is uh, something that will make the, the, the attack that much more legitimate looking, that much more convincing. And if you, I mean, even a good writer might find it hard to mimic someone's written style. But if you can get a hold of some internal emails from, from the person that you're wanting to impersonate and provide that uh, written style to, to the language model, it will actually write in that style, uh, which is very interesting. Other experiments we performed uh, were, for instance, to, to create social media posts, to create articles, uh, to create sort of more long-form social media posts, the sorts of things you might find on Reddit, to create fake news, uh, things like that. The the fake news example was actually interesting because we asked it to write about something that the model wouldn't know about. So as I mentioned, the model was trained with data that uh, goes up until June of 2021, and we asked it to write an article about the attack on the Nord Stream pipeline that happened in autumn of 2022. So the model doesn't know anything about the current Ukraine conflict. And what we did was we copy pasted some, some paragraphs from Wikipedia about the, the current conflict in Ukraine, about the Nord Stream pipeline and about US uh, naval maneuvers uh, during 2022. And then it was able to write uh, 
a fairly convincing argument as to why the US were the ones that attacked that pipeline. Right, right. You know, I think it's kind of quite telling that obviously you've got a lot of cyber criminals that are employing a lot of different types of bots, different types of AI and their practices and in the same ways that a lot of, you know, companies and a lot of employees are using this powerful tech, you know, criminals are just doing the exact same thing, really trying to sort of like be ahead of that that curve. Um a little little bit little bit worrying there. Um I wanted to kind of move away from the kind of risk aspect for this last question. Um because this is one thing that quite a lot of people are talking about uh, and perhaps slightly pessimistic about and, and that is kind of you know in your uh, opinion Andy will, will humans always matter more than robots in the modern workplace it's going to take a long time before we have robots that can emulate our abilities fully if you look at and play with these models you'll quickly realize their limitations. So, I mean, yes, they make things up, but also if you ask them to write fiction, it's fairly derivative. Um, If you ask them to write non-fictional articles, they tend to start repeating themselves after about four or five paragraphs. And it can sometimes take some creative prompt engineering to get them to do what you want. That being said, I mean, I see these models, you know, they're obviously going to be integrated into our productivity tools in the near future. And, I mean, having used uh, Lex.Page, which is a word processor that has built-in GPT-3 functionality, I can say that it really has helped me to to become more efficient. It can do menial tasks very quickly. It can come up with things that help sort of prompt creativity. Uh, it can, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a massively useful productivity tool and, and generative art models will be similarly good. I mean, you know, when, when built into PowerPoint, you'll be able to write what you want it to, to, to create a picture of and it'll, it'll do that for you. Eventually we'll have, you know, video generation. So, I mean, I, this is not doom and gloom. By all means, it's uh, these these models are going to be fantastic, and they're going to really really help us a lot. We just have to consider how they're going to be used for malicious purposes. You know how they're going to be used for crime, how they're going to facilitate social engineering, how they're going to be used um, to attack democracy. Yeah, and I think there's going to be some huge developments in these models over the next few years, especially you know with uh, Microsoft and Chat GPT, and then obviously Google's own bard sort of coming in as a as a kind of competitor and rival to that um my my last question for you today is you know it looks like over the next few years there's going to be a little bit of a little bit of a battle of the ais uh so to speak in terms of you know how quickly can they develop how quickly can they do certain things in a more efficient way um how do you kind of see that rivalry playing out um and how do you think it will affect the market going forward well the first thing that i think they're going to want to do is make these things a lot more efficient. Right now, they're very expensive to run. You you kind of need a supercomputer to run them, even for inference. And uh, and if they're going to be adding these things into into regular tools that we use every day, that's that's not economically feasible right now. So there's going to be a lot of effort in making them small enough to run on reasonable computing devices. And, and I think within the next few years, we're going to see models 
as powerful as, as this that you'll eventually be able to run on a beefy desktop and then eventually on your phone. And, uh, and then they'll, be, they'll start to be integrated into everything. So they'll be integrated into, into your phone, your smartwatch, your wearable, your obviously the search engines, um, you know, home assistants, Alexa things and stuff like that. And then they'll just become like a standard part of life. What I'm hearing right now is, the, is that they're thinking about charging rather a lot of money per month to use these things. But as competition ramps up, I think that those, they'll eventually be free. Yeah, to be honest, I agree. I think if you kind of just look how Google has shaken out, it's going to kind of follow the same path where like by the end of things, it's just going to be ubiquitous. Everyone can use it. Everyone's comfortable with it. And it's almost like an extension of ourselves. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess we'll have to, uh, guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, Andy, thank you so much for coming on uh, today's episode. I really do appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. No worries. And, and thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to the podcast as well. We hope you took a lot away from today's podcast, but for further information on what we talked about, please head on over to withsecure.com and see that report that I've linked in the description below. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series, but until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, please head on over to EM360Tech.com. <laughs>